strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. If you are a pet parent, if you are someone that loves your pet and thinks it's adorable, we want to see the pictures, and you just might win a $100 gift card for you and your pet. So why not go to KTAR.com on the contest page, submit your photos, and who knows, you just might win that gift card. Um... How much does the or do the origins of COVID matter? I would say on a worldwide scale, it's pretty important that we know how this virus happened. If it was, if it truly happened as a uh, as an accident bet- in a wet market between animals and human contact, then we need uh, scientists across the world to be studying how to prevent something like that happening again. Is there a way to prevent that from jumping from animals to people? Is it possible? I think that would be a worldwide effort. If this was leaked from a lab, then we need to ask two questions. Was it an accident? And if so, how does something so dangerous leak from a lab? Or was it on purpose? Was this sabotage? And if so, who's responsible? Then in the end, let's say it was just poor security. Let's say this did come from a Chinese lab. And they just were careless in how they handled this, and it was leaked out of a lab and into the general public and across the world, and we've been dealing with it now for over three years. Uh, Those are important questions. The bigger issue for me in – and I don't know. I'll be honest. I I don't follow much of the international news. I follow sometimes the BBC, but I'm not a big – I don't follow the – and there are some people that love international news. I'm just not one of them. So I don't know exactly how the international press handled the people, the naysayers when it came to COVID as a whole. But we watched and we have watched this happen, whether it was social media or the traditional what's called the mainstream media. We watched that there was one narrative that was being pushed throughout all of this. And if you strayed from that narrative, not only were you called wrong, which is absolutely everyone's right, but you are also then called trouble. And at some point dangerous. And I've said for a long time that what the first thing that happens is they label someone dangerous and then they can marginalize them. Your speech isn't just wrong. What your opinion isn't just wrong. It's dangerous. Uh, And it's funny that with COVID, how far it went. Everyone out there has a family member that has a remedy for the flu. My grandmother, when I was a kid. And I guess, well, she's dead now, so she can't be held accountable for, for what she did to me. But in my family, what we did was you took hot tea with lemon, you put in a half a shot of whiskey, you wrapped yourself in a blanket, and you sweated it out. So a kid drank a cup of tea. Now, when you're a little kid, a, a half a shot of whiskey is going to knock you out. So you slept and you sweated it out. That was my family's recipe. Was my grandmother dangerous? I mean, does that make my grandmother dangerous because there was a doctor out there who would say there's absolutely no medical value to that? No, one you can call wrong. The reason why I bring this up is because people talked about ivermectin. Again, I'm fully vaccinated. I wasn't someone that was treating COVID-19 when I got COVID-19, even after I had the vaccine. Um, it, it, it is um, – it was – Ivermectin was seen as, well, that's an animal drug. Well, that's so dumb to say. There were human forms of this forever, just like penicillin and just like anything else. My point of this is marginalizing people. What's happening with COVID-19? Former President Trump called it the China virus. And he was chastised that that was a racist thing to say. 
And he said that he believed it was leaked from a lab. And we've had NPR, uh, CNN, MSNBC, um, a, a lot of the networks, the Alphabet Networks all came out and said this has been a debunked. This is not true. There's no way any of this is true. And here we are three years later, three and a half years later, and they're going, hmm. The FBI, the other day, the FBI maintained for a long time, they said, you know, we've we've actually always thought this. The director, Ray, said the FBI came to this conclusion a long time ago that it was probably leaked from a lab. Does the China, do the Chinese people, does the Chinese government owe the world reparations for the trillions of dollars that it cost countries to stave off? COVID-19 for the development of a vaccine for what the American taxpayer has spent for the vaccine here in our country and also to ship it in other places around the world because that's the nation we are. Do the, does the Chinese government have to pay reparations? But beyond that, at what point, at what point do we as a society stop or do we ever? Maybe we're just childish. Maybe this is a part of human nature that we're never going to get rid of. Um, when you hear Here's a headline. Credibility crisis. NPR insisted COVID originated naturally by dismissing lab leak theory as nonsense. They did it on a couple of different occasions with big headlines, basically saying anyone who believes this unscientific nonsense is an outlier and you're a tinfoil hat wearing crazy person. And I'll tell you, um, I am someone that is a big believer in in uh, personal freedoms. And there are people, and I know people that have medical degrees that believe and still believe, and they say they have evidence because of the way they treated people that they knew and in their family, that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were the keys to overcoming um, COVID-19 very quickly. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm saying they have a right to feel that way. The marginalization of those people, the pushing down on social media because the narrative disagrees. Why? Because it's dangerous. There might be somebody out there that reads this on Twitter. Well, let me just, and with all due respect, because everyone knows I love social media. I'm battling on Twitter right now, and I'm watching Twitter battles right now. Everybody understands Twitter's not a real place. And I will tell you, if you are getting medical advice from Slappy687 on Twitter, you deserve what you get. When I was deciding with the information that was out there and made available to me and to the public, when the vaccines came out, um, I was told what vaccine was the safest. I was told by two separate medical professionals, doctors that I trust implicitly, that they believed that the vaccine was effective and safe. So I got the vaccine. I got the first booster. Then I got the second booster. And I went with medical advice. And what's funny about this argument is it's a two-way street. I had friends who are vaccine deniers that hate the vaccine, that thinks it's a horrible idea, that were mad at me because I got the vaccine. And I said, I go on the air every day and I defend your right to not take the vaccine, that that's a personal choice and to leave you alone for making that personal choice. And you're in my face because I chose to get the vaccine. You need to leave me alone like they need to leave you alone. So it is a it's a passionate issue, but to marginalize somebody because they disagree with you, 
to not do your homework, to all of a sudden believe the narrative. Oh, my gosh, you idiot. You're not going to take a vaccine, but you'll put a horse dewormer in your body. Okay, you 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 just went with the most simplified narrative that was debunked immediately. When you look at the millions of doses of hydroxychloroquine um, and ivermectin, I should mean ivermectin, the, the billions of doses that ivermectin has been used in human form. Now, I'm not saying it's a cure. For COVID-19, I'm saying that people that believe it's true are not crazy and shouldn't be marginalized. And the people that went around, including the former president of the United States, when they said, you know, there's a very good chance that this was leaked from a lab, that this is a cover up by a communist government in saying that it jumped from a bat in a wet market to human beings, that there is more likely than not that we're going to find out in the end that this came from a laboratory. And they were demonized. They were marginalized. They were called maniacs. And it's turning out it may be more likely than not that they're right when the new information came out. Is there going to be an apology? We'll see. In a moment, um, food banks prepare for SNAP reductions, but Arizona reduced its SNAP program a year ago. But we're going to talk about the good news in the economy and some mixed results in the economy. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, we I talked about this uh, a, a while ago on the show this morning, early this morning, and I kind of went down the road of helping people that are in need. I want to go a little bit more to the depth of this these couple of studies. Um, the big question, do you have more money in your pocket this year than last year? Um According to a study, a college student living in Austin, they got one person in here that they're talking to. I feel like it's about the same, even though I feel like I've gone up economically in terms of my work. I'll still have to spend more money on stuff. Things are so expensive. Everything, my groceries, literally everything I spend money on. 57% of registered voters said they have less money in their pockets this year than last year, according to a Fox News poll. The figure increased by 7% from one year ago. Um But this one is interesting. According to an ABC Post poll, Americans say they are worse off than they have ever been with the most negative data in the history of the survey. Over 40% of respondents indicated their financial situation was worse. Only 16% of people said they are better off. Not only that, 60% of Democrats polled said they did not want Joe Biden as their candidate in 2024. And 62% of all people polled said they would be disappointed or even angry if President Biden remained in the White House for a second term. That is an astounding number. Now, I will say two things. It is a long way to 2024, and a lot can change. Um, And it can change in the economy. Voters have short memories. Voters do vote with their wallets. Um, But what this says is it's this isn't as much about Republican Democrat as it is about the person in the office. Uh, 1970s, late 1970s, mid 1970s with Jimmy Carter. Um, He won the presidency in 1976, uh, which led to Ronald Reagan winning the presidency in 1980. Uh, Those four years. And I know that the president, the former president is very, very ill. But uh, Jimmy Carter is known as a philanthropist and, and and a wonderful human being. 
but his policies as president of the United States, he is seen historically as a poor president, especially on the economy, that he did not accomplish. There were some accomplishments. Every president has some accomplishments. It wasn't a complete failure. But if you look back at the most voters in America, when looking back at that time in office, it was seen as poor. And then you look forward to what happened after that, the eight years of Reagan. So you went from four years of Jimmy Carter where we were seeing huge interest rate hikes, high inflation, a gas shortage, which really wasn't a gas shortage, gas lines and people struggling financially. The first few years of Reagan, he wasn't immensely popular, especially for the first two. But as things turned in the economy in that second, uh, those last two years of his first term, in 1984, Ronald Reagan won re-election by 49 states. For those of you that remember that, I want you to think about that. In the political climate we're in now, and it wasn't much better back then as far as parties arguing with each other, any individual that won 49 states is remarkable. Is remarkable. So then you go to the end of the Bush presidency, which we've talked about before, the huge uh, uh, reduction. We had a huge recession, I should say, that happened, and it led to Barack Obama because they connected the economies. They said, you know, they they sold the narrative that the McCain economy wasn't going to be much different than the Bush economy. And you look how things have changed. Well, now you look at a Democrat in office and Joe Biden and the economy is in a dismal place. And the biggest issue for most people is they don't believe, at least at this point, they don't believe that this president and his policies are capable of digging us out. That's where the low poll numbers come from. It isn't Republican, Democrat. I know the parties are going to fight the way. And I'm a staunch Republican. I just spent the day yesterday, the afternoon with uh, the Mesa Republican women. I, I, I believe in party politics. I do. I believe that the party should define who they are, stand by what they believe in, and then go and accomplish the things they say they're going to the way they say they're going to when they have power. I believe that on both sides of the aisle. But Outside of the party politics, the American voters are going to vote for someone that they believe is going to put them in the best position to succeed themselves individually. They vote with their wallets. They vote for for a president, especially a president that they believe is going to be a patriotic representative, whatever that patriotism patriotism is for them, a patriotic representation of their values, that they are going to be someone that is going to make their economic chances for success or their chances for economic success. Higher. And we don't see that in this administration. And this is something that I believe is a key to everything. And this is exactly what leadership is supposed to do. I, I, and this is my personal opinion that this president, his, his uh, economic policy is connected to climate change. Good or bad. I'm, at this point, I'm not criticizing. You know how I feel about it, but I'm not being critical. I'm being observational. The president of the United States views everything through the prism of climate change. Therefore, his economic policies are not focused on economic success for any one group or all groups of Americans. His economic policy is seen for how does it affect the planet. And he's taken the eye off the economic ball, in my opinion. This is part of the reason we're seeing some of what we're seeing is he is he is OK with sacrificing or at least diminishing parts of our economy of all economic levels as long as we reach the climate change goals that he has. I think he's taken the eye, his eye off the ball.
Coming up in a moment, we go back to the border conversation as a former attorney general says we should be sending the military into Mexico just like we sent the military after ISIS. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Nothing like a little Uncle Ted on a Friday. Ted Nugent, how do you not like Ted Nugent? Um, I've got some great Ted Nugent stories where I got to hang out with Ted. Um, he is so much fun. He is such a fun guy um, to be with in person and, and such a humble guy. You would, If I were to tell you that one of the words I associate with Ted Nugent is humble, nobody would believe me based on the Uncle Ted persona. But he truly is. I would be backstage with him at some shows here in town, and he would introduce me to people at the meet and greet like they were there to see me and not him. I'm like, nobody here. They see that guy with the guitar he wants you to sign. He doesn't care who I am. Just sign the guy's guitar. But it was fun. It was. I had a. I, I miss hanging out with Ted Nugent. I do. He was a lot of fun to be hang out with. I hope I get to do it. I hope I get to again soon. Um, before I get to the attorney general thing in the military and, and Mexico, I want to talk about President Biden because uh, here's just some headlines on this. There is a, a bill in uh, – there, there's a rule change, a law change in Washington, D.C. that would dramatically <clears> – <throat> that will dramatically reduce penalties um, – for convicted people. And, and, and so House Democrats blindsided as Biden changes his tune on D.C. criminal bill. House Democrats were infuriated and taken aback by President Biden's announcement on Thursday that he will sign a resolution to nix the District of Columbia's crime bill. The crime bill has come under heavy criticism from Republicans and centrist Democrats. But last month, 173 Democrats voted along with what they thought the White House stance would be in this resolution in an attempt to stand up for the district's home rule. So um, people are very upset on the left side of the aisle. Why did Di- why did Biden decide to do this? Um, and well, I will tell you the reason why is because people are looking at crime statistics and seeing of seeing how these laws are detrimental to safe streets. The law which the district council passed over the veto of Mayor Muriel Bowser eases penalties for a variety of criminal offenses offenses, including violent crimes. So the uh, the far left side of the Democratic Party is very upset that the president went back on his word on this. But here are some things. Seattle judge releases a gang member who was accused of a mass shooting to home detention with his grandmother. Um, it, it's just it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing to me. And the reason why is here we are having this conversation about whether or not it's the fault of the guns. And I don't want to get down the Second Amendment side of this. But that is that is you have to at least if you don't agree with it, understand how angry people like me are. On one hand, the very same people that are saying the streets are less safe when law-abiding citizens are armed to the teeth. Because that's what they're saying. The president says he's going to ban assault weapons, and that's going to make streets safer. Well, if you ban assault weapons, you call them assault weapons, I don't, but that's your term, then I'm not allowed to have them. I'm supposed to give mine up. You're going to send people door to door to get them? That's not a good look, and it's not going to be a good situation. But let's say that happened. Let's say you effectively did it. Let's say you did it. I'm going to go along with the narrative for a moment. You 
get a ban on assault weapons, not grandfathered in assault weapons, the AR-15s, whatever you want to call that platform of rifle that you deem scary, that you are effectively able to ban them and you are effectively able to get them. And confiscate them. So you say to me, if you want to keep your handguns and your shotguns and your hunting rifles, you're going to have to give up those AR-15s that you own. And we know you own them because you registered them when you bought them. So unless you're going to try to lie to me and tell me you sold them, we want them or we're going to come in with a warrant and take all of your guns. I'm just taking this to full measure. And they got mine. Are the streets safer? They're not. Now on top of that, Washington, D.C., which has a huge crime rate anyway, is reducing the criminal penalties for people that have shown themselves to be violent, usually with guns that they are already prohibited from having. The world is upside down. The world is upside down. You are going after the weapons that are owned by law-abiding citizens. The city of Phoenix, the city of Phoenix, and there are so many people, and at that first glance, it's like, well, of course, that's crazy. Why would we do that? There are members of the Phoenix City Council that are saying, um, we don't want to be in the gun business, and we don't want to have to sell confiscated firearms to the public. We don't want to put more guns on the street. You're not putting guns on the street. You're putting guns that have been taken away from people that can't have them into the law-abiding citizens' hands. You're still not stopping someone from buying a gun. They're still going to go to a firearms dealer and buy a gun. Well, we don't want to be in the business of selling guns. Well, then get out of city politics. That should be the attitude of people. I don't think everybody should be forced to own a gun. There are people that don't like them. There are people that are afraid of them, people that say, I don't want them in the home while I have children. Even if they're locked up, I'm afraid. I don't. You have a multitude of reasons. But this, this idea that we are going to lessen penalties on criminals, including violent crimes, and what bothers me about this, what makes me so animated about this is being frustrated myself. Being a victim of violent crime myself, and had I not had the loud voice I had on the radio, would not have gotten justice against somebody that tried to commit a crime against me. And my situation was different because I was up against somebody that had no chance of success. Now, again, I'm, I, I am certainly not an MMA fighter. I am not, uh, I'm not Rambo. I'm not any of those things. But this kid, I outweighed this kid by almost 100 pounds. He was high as a kite, and there was no way he was going to be successful in taking me down. But that doesn't mean he wasn't trying. He threatened to kill me. He tried to kill me. Um, and when they finally arrested him, I was told by some people that he wasn't going to be prosecuted. I was furious because you know what I didn't do? I didn't inflict street justice on this kid. I waited for the police. Never threw a punch at this kid. Kept him at bay, kept him away from me, told him to get away from me, pushed him off of me, took him to the ground, let him up because I didn't want to inflict street justice. And to be very honest with you, I didn't want to get sued by some punk in a parking lot. I had stuff that I didn't want taken from me in some lawsuit. And as it turns out, he had a public defender that said I started the fight and tried to defend him in court until a judge told her to be quiet because she was embarrassing herself. That's the words the judge used, told her to be quiet. She said that I started the fight, that I didn't have the right to intervene in a crime that was being committed. Victims of violent crime have at the very minimum 
the right to see justice happen to the person that perpetrates that crime against them. If you don't want street justice, and I don't, if you don't want people taking the law into their own hands to feel as if they're being justified because they aren't getting it from the justice system, then you have to have the people available with the wherewithal to punish criminals. This idea that we are going to lessen the severity of crime or the severity of punishment for crime and it's going to do good in our community is failing everywhere, everywhere. And it's absurd that it's happening here. In a moment, a former attorney general says the military should be fighting the cartels just like they fought ISIS. I'm going to explain to you what this all means in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a former Attorney General, Bill Barr, has said that he believes the U.S. military should fight narco-terrorist cartels in Mexico like ISIS. Um, I had an interesting conversation recently about the border, and a former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson led this this thing about this border summit. It was very interesting. But his career, I'm talking about Governor Hutchinson's career, is interesting. Working as an Attorney General in the Reagan administration, also headed up the DEA, the Drug Administration. Drug Enforcement Administration at a time when the DEA found itself facing cartels that were earning billions of dollars in the 80s in cocaine trafficking. And what they did was they created armies. They had airplanes that rivaled military aircraft and flying planes that were faster um, and getting their drugs into places quickly. They had uh, you know armies in their own country. They had um, military-style weaponry um, and weapons, you know, military-grade weapons as well. And were meeting out uh, battles. They were going after elected officials in their own country. So we've seen this happen before. And the way that those cartels were torn apart, and I had a fascinating discussion. I was in New York City recently, and the driver I had from the airport to midtown Manhattan was a Colombian immigrant, an older guy, older than me. And I asked him, because he was a kid in the 80s. You know, He was a young adult in the 80s in uh, Colombia. And I asked him what it's like now. And he said, I just was back last year. It's great. Streets are safe. It's a different country now than it was then. Then it was intimidation and violence being used by the cartels um, in order to get their way by force. Are we seeing that in Mexico? This is a very good question for the American people, for North America as a whole. The border issue, and we've talked about that at length. We're going to talk, you know, we've talked more about the border issue recently than ever. But there are now stories that when it comes to the border issue, that it's now the northern border that's being overrun, the Canadian border, Vermont. Uh, New York are seeing huge uprisings of migrants coming in, not being bussed in from Texas or Arizona, but people coming across the border from the from the Canadian border. So that's another part of this issue. What we are talking about is the poisoning of the American people with the drug fentanyl. 
which is a game changer for anybody. And there's even there's new drugs that are coming. Um, and, and so these are the, the issues that I think all of us have to take a look at. Um, I, I, this is uh, I want you to hear border sheriff. When I say border sheriff, Mark Lamb, who is the Pinal County sheriff, borders the Tohono Odom Nation tribal land, which then um, straddles the border in southern Arizona. But he was in D.C. speaking to a group of, of congressmen <clears throat> about this. And listen to what he said about the drug crisis in Pinal County. In our county, we have seen a 600 percent increase in fentanyl in my community. In 2018, we had zero M30 fentanyl pill seizures. In 2019, we had around 700 pills. In 2020, we had over 200,000 pills. In 2021, we had over 1.2 million pills. And this last year, we had over 1.4 million pills come into my community. I hope that one of you will ask me about xylazine, which is something we're now finding in our communities. So are we being are we being poisoned again the conspiracy not and when I say conspiracy theory the theory is the Chinese and we know this is true that a lot of the ingredients that are being used to make fentanyl are being purchased in Mexico through China is China intentionally poisoning the American people going down that right road right now is kind of premature but let's take a look at what happens in Mexico where the cartels are gaining in power they are gaining in influence they are gaining in a weaponry they are doing all of the things we saw happen in Colombia except this is at our southern border. This is at our back door. Do the American people have an obligation? A right is one thing, an obligation to defend itself now. Would the American, or I'm sorry, the Mexican government allow us to step in and say to them, hey, listen, we're going to send assets. We're going to send people. We're going to send people to train your cops. We're going to give you equipment. We're going to do what's necessary to help you push back against the cartels. Or is the government of Mexico so complicit in this, or at least terrified by this, that they want no part of help from the Americans because the cartels are going to level them or at least go after them with their full force. But Bill Barr says, look what we did with ISIS. When we went and fought terrorism where it is, as, uh, as opposed to waiting for it to come here. We're going to go get you where you are. We sent that message to the world. We're still fighting it. We are still fighting it. You look what's happening in Africa still. Somalia, you look what's happening there. We are still fighting terrorism around the world. We just uh, confiscated recently um, a, a ship full of weapons bound for Somalia from Iran was intercepted, and those guns were confiscated by American forces. Is this something we should entertain or is this something we should be stay away from? The American people are going to have to start looking at this issue now because if we wait till the problem gets too big, look what happened. How many years were we in Iraq? How many years were we in Afghanistan? These are our neighbors. We want them prosperous. We want them solvent. We want them stable. We want them free because they're great partners and neighbors. Even if we're just being selfish, a stable, prosperous Mexico is good for everyone in our country. Everyone in our country. What we're going to do in the next hour of the show, an Arizona school board member uh, is happy about breaking a contract with teachers and a college. I'll tell you why next.